0: Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Nox Quiros
1: My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And today, we are going to be talking about books that have helped us as educators format, d- develop, etc. Our teaching. I'm an English teacher, so the fact that it took me so many words to say that, slightly concerned. Um, but do you want to introduce yourself?
2: My name is Caroline M. Watson, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm an educator. I've been teaching for as long as I've been a student in in a lot of ways. Um, I'm a theater educator. So I've been teaching theater probably since I was about 17 years old. So my pedagogy and and kind of knowledge and classroom management has developed a lot over the past over a decade. (laughs) So I think it's so much fun to talk about education, especially in two different fields I think it doesn't really matter (laughs) what what uh, subject you're teaching it all comes down to molding young minds at the end of the day
1: yeah I especially like that you talked you said um, you've been teaching since you were 17 which one that's awesome and two um, I I personally have been teaching since last year (laughs) because I am a graduate student in a program with a teaching residency So I'm like a teaching intern, but I'm still teaching. So technically, um, I taught for three months, went on medical leave, and then I'm going back again (laughs) this August. As a graduate student, my teachers have been providing us with a lot of reading material. And it made me think more about, there has to be books out there, you know, that are kind of like geared towards educators and then especially geared towards educators who want to develop a pedagogy that's more inclusive and equitable and then my teachers kept talking about abolitionist teaching and restorative justice and I was like never heard of any of those things in my life (laughs) and so I had to go look up restorative justice in the classroom because I knew what it meant outside of the classroom but not like inside um abolitionist teaching wasn't a phrase I was familiar with and then I found all these books and I'm like oh my god there's so much to check out so I'm slowly but surely uh, going through like a list of books that I want to read that will hopefully help me develop that pedagogy that will best help my students.
2: That's awesome that that was a, a focus of your teachers in school.
1: So do you have any Any books that you've read that you think have helped um, develop your pedagogy in any way?
2: For me, in particular, I'm coming from a place of teaching very young kids. Um, And that's kind of my forte and my just the age range. I I tend to work with a lot is like itty bitty bitty babies (laughs) to, you know, second grade usually. I try to approach everything I do, though, in in the classroom or in a classroom type space on the same level, though. Um, A big thing for me in teaching and just talking to children in general is approaching things from an anti-adultist standpoint, meaning just children, young people have the same agency, have equal rights as, as older people do and deserve to have their thoughts and their feelings heard in the same way that older people do. I found that it's that is not a, a popular school of thought in uh, especially the Western world, sadly. And so I've had to kind of work really hard to find uh, books and literature that speak to those ideas and a lot of the times it's I can't outright find exactly that so I've you know cobbled together a lot of information from different books over the years in particular I'm thinking of Jane Nelson's positive discipline in the classroom which barf central at that name sorry Jane Nelson Um, positive discipline is an upsetting title for me (laughs) but the concepts in that book uh, make sense about encouragement over rewards and encouragement over like telling someone they're doing something wrong, doing things that are developmentally appropriate for anybody and not just having things set straight for age groups and um, shutting people down if it's not going accordingly. thats That's been something that I've connected with a lot, but I could go on about, about that. A main thing for me has been pulling things from spaces that aren't just like, this is a book about classroom management. That's changed the game for me, especially in terms of working with young people and a creative setting and less of an academic setting?
1: I didn't even think about that how it would probably differ based off age range because I'm teaching middle school Mm -hmm. with the potential to teach high school students Um, if you know I'm if somebody calls and they're like hey can you send Knox to uh, sub for high school today Mm -hmm. Um, but I mainly primarily teach middle school last year I taught eighth grade and sixth grade and this year I'm going to teach I think sixth and seventh. I'm about to start it just, the loan just came in from the library, Dr. Bettina L. Loves, We Want to Do More Than Survive, which is about abolitionist teaching and the pursuit of educational freedom. Hmm. And I've been told that this is kind of like a primer for teachers with like, who want to look into abolitionist teaching. And it's teaching about how to make sustainable changes in our communities. And I think especially because I teach on the East Coast, so close to the nation's capital, especially that is something, you know, I want my students to feel welcome to talk about. Like, I don't want them to be scared to have questions about the world around them, even if it is an English class. Like, I wanna wanna say something. Uh, I explained this to uh, a a family member um, the other day. I was like, listen, I don't have time to, I'm not teaching your kids how to be LGBT or whatever, like, the thoughts are it's like oh teachers are teaching our kids to be gay and stuff they're teaching our kids pronouns i am teaching your kids pronouns i'm teaching them that i you we is a pronoun (laughs) That, that is the only thing like i cannot sometimes i cannot teach kids how to get your homework turned in on time i do not have the time and energy to go and this is how I'm not pushing an agenda, but I do want kids to feel welcomed in the classroom and safe in the classroom because then they can learn and feel comfortable. That's what I think like the core of this is. I want to teach my students to be loving and mm-hmm. supportive, and I want to model that so that my students feel okay coming. Go, Miss Knox. You know, um, I have a question. And they can ask with, with no judgment and know that. And I think that's a big thing that um, abolitionist teaching is where it's like, Miss, Miss Knox, I, I feel upset about this. How can I make a change? Well, you need to know why this is happening. And then here are some steps you can work towards to try to make that change. That's That's not an agenda. That's just teaching <laughs> and being like... <laughs> I'm not telling your kids to go dye their hair or anything. Like that's not what's happening. I don't have the spoons or the time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like I really don't. Right. It's um, when when we're living in a time where um, empathy is a word that is uh, being attacked as a as an indoctrinating tool in the classroom, I think. One, big yikes. And two, it's like, well, that's that's just being a good human. And I just want to be a good human for my students. Having those kind of foundational texts in that sense of creating a classroom environment that is, you know, abolitionist minded and, and anti-racist. And <laughs> while we're living in a really tough time to be a teacher, Um, especially in specific parts of the country. It's also nice that we are living in a time where there is a lot more literature on how to kind of combat all of that. One that I'm thinking of as as a really good text, especially for middle grades and high school, and especially in an English classroom setting, is the Anti-Racist Writing Workshop by Felicia Rose Chavez. Um, subtitle is how to decolonize the creative classroom a great book for kind of really actionable (laughs) steps on creating that environment in your classroom and kind of changing the approach to (laughs) writing and in an English classroom setting in a school these days so that's definitely one I would recommend checking out
1: I I get so anxious and like overthinking every little thing because Mm -hmm. it's not an agenda it's just wanting my students to feel safe and wanting them to be able to learn and if thing at the end of the year that they get is that there are that they are okay to be who they are and also you know what I teach in English class like grammar (laughs) um things like that (laughs) Like if you walk away knowing how to write a five a five paragraph essay and how to be the most authentic and happy version of you that you can be, I will be happy with that. And it's something that I get very worried about. It's like, well, stay in your lane as a teacher. I'm like, that's, that's what my teachers did though. <laughs> and like, yeah. I'm one of a few, like few teachers with visible disabilities at my school. Hmm. It's me. And I think just one of the principals at my school with a visible disability. I was really worried when I took my cane to work. I was like, how are the students going to react? And I was very glad that most, most because I did have an incident where somebody stole my cane. Most of the reactions were, hi, how are you doing? Do you need help carrying this? Because they'd see I'm like trying to walk and hold like a bunch of stuff. And then when I needed to use a wheelchair um, for like the last half of me being there, Oh, Ms. Knox, do you want me to, do you need help? Do you want me to hold this or just holding a door open? Things like that. That's that's just the empathy that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for, like in the classroom. And I've told them because obviously students will fight with each other. Why don't you all treat each other the way you treat me? Is it because I'm a teacher or is it because I'm disabled? Because y'all are very nice to me. And I, I, I'm not saying to not be nice to me. Please stay nice to me. <laughs> so why can't you extend that to each other? And they'll like sit and I go, I don't want you to just be nice to me because I'm disabled or just because I'm your teacher. I want you to be nice to me because I'm a person. And I want you to be nice to each other because you're people. I, I, I want you to treat each other with the same like, do you need help? Oh, how are you doing today? Kindness that you treat me. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm cultivating the classroom where that is, you know, that's not just on them. That's on me as a teacher to make sure that the classroom that I have is welcoming to that. And it was a book, the one teaching related book I was assigned in my undergraduate was a book called Waiting for Superman, How We Can Save America's Failing Public Schools. <gasps> <laughs> So it's based off of a documentary following five different kids trying to get into charter schools for a better chance um, at their education. My problem with this book, my problem with this book, because it's been two years since I've read it, I'm still mad, is that this book will start telling you America's public schools are set up and they are failing students. And then it will start talking trash about the people who didn't make it through the system. So it will start saying how oh and all of these dropouts are costing us money with their welfare and things like that or oh and all like the just taking up space and stuff like that like but you just said two sentences ago we have all these students who have to leave school because they need to work because there's not enough money for food and things like that or how there's Classroom sizes are too big, so there's not enough attention. So students are falling through the cracks and they don't stay in school because of it. Or, you know, how students can't concentrate because they're hungry and we don't have like ways for them to get food because some people don't want to give free breakfast at schools. So, once while they're a student, you're treating them with this empathy and this kindness that they deserve. They do deserve that. My problem is not that you're treating the students like that. My problem is that once they drop out, now they're a problem for you. Mm-hmm. But you can't critique a system, say that this is how the system is failing students. This is what the system's leading the, leading to. This is all the ways. That's what the entire book is about. All the failures in the system yeah. and how some schools provide solutions and like possible solutions. But then the minute they're no longer. Part of the system because of these issues, now you're talking trash about them, mm. and it made me really mad. And so, I had huh. an assignment where I was supposed to write about this book and what I got from it. It was supposed to be a 500 word paragraph, just saying, What did I get from this book? <laughs> it turned into a 3,300 word complaint. <laughs> Where my teacher was like, well, I know you read the book.
2: You're like, what did I get out of this book? I got anger. Anger.
1: (laughs) I got anger.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think that people who come from more privileged areas may get something out of this book about informing their own pedagogy. The reason I say that is because the stuff that they mentioned like on an individual like teacher based level. Yeah, duh. Well, that was at least that for me. But I also grew up. You know, I went to a Title One school. I grew up with classmates who didn't have lunch money or lunch at home for whatever reason. Or you know, I grew up. I grew up neurodivergent in the American public school system. So to me, it's like, yeah. I know these were solutions because I was the person who needed these solutions or mm-hmm. I was friends with the people who needed these solutions. If you grew up in an area where these were never problems in the first place and you're now moving to an area where these are issues, I think that this is a book where you'll be like, ah, yes, but for the love of God, please don't talk about people who dropped out of school like that.
2: It definitely does a bang up job of uh, pointing out a cyclical problem, but then Also blaming (laughs) the cycle simultaneously, which is like what um, it's like. The critical thinking really stopped at a certain (laughs) at a certain point. There,
1: you almost had it. You were so (laughs) So
2: close. close. I mean, like literally, just the title of the book is a very savior (laughs) savior complex. (laughs) Yeah, obviously that's a very important topic in in how poorly the public school system is set up in this country, especially in larger cities in the country and underfunded areas. Yeah, it's not not quite enough to just point it out anymore. <laughs> I know E. Viewing has a really incredible book called "Ghosts in the Schoolyard," which is specifically talking about Chicago's public school system. So many of the shortcomings and, and failings there, especially in terms of school closures, specifically on the South side of Chicago. I mean, a huge difference in those books is um, e-viewing is, is a product of the Chicago public school system, is is an educator, is, you know, a sociologist. Like she's got really uh, boots on the ground <laughs> in those fields and is coming from a more informed <laughs> place. And yeah, I think that's a good one if you haven't taken a look at that book to give that a read, especially talking about public school systems in larger cities in America, because yeah, it's a lot of people not being set up for success.
0: (laughs) If you are a fan of Taylor Jenkins Reid, Jacqueline Woodson, Kylie Reid, Christina Enriquez, or Lisa Ko, I have a book that you are going to want to read immediately. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell was just released in paperback and is the sexy, passionate, honest, and raw literary novel you've been craving. Don't take it from me though, the accolades are numerous. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm was named Book of the Year by Oprah Daly and Kirkus, and one of the most anticipated books from the Washington Post, People, Literary Hub, and more. It was nominated for the Penn Faulkner Award and the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. So yeah, it has some meat to it. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm is the story of a messy jazz man we love to hate and the women who love him and are loved by him. This isn't romance, but it's definitely romantic. This book is a real look at women's love, from family to friends to lovers to partners. It's a story about bad boys, about music, and about the multitudes of women's stories. So if you love multiple points of view in a literary novel, one that shows the messiness and the complications of love, and novels that really champion the stories of women, you can't miss Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell, now available in paperback from Vintage.
1: This is supposed to be talking about books that help us as educators, and this just turned into me getting mad.
0: I mean, this
1: is my rant review of Waiting for Superman. I just pulled you into it.
2: We are educators in a country, in a time that is actively trying to stop educators from doing their jobs just across the board in so many different ways. So I think to to not be angry would be confusing. <laughs> it is, it's a, a very, very strange time to, to be an educator and having a teacher who is going out of their way to get, get some sort of fundraiser and more access to books or have empathy be the you know core guiding light of the classroom is so important because it's just being actively fought against from so many different directions <laughs> right now. Like no matter where you're teaching or what you're teaching, unfortunately, a guiding kind of principle for me when I'm teaching an after school program where I know that my students have been in their classrooms all day dealing with access barriers, dealing with teachers who maybe don't understand them, dealing with issues in their homes as much as I want to have learning objectives and I want us to put on a show at the end of the year, and I want, you know, skills to be learned, my constant thing is I want to be a soft place for them to land right now. And if that means we spend the first 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, the whole class talking about how our days went, then that's what we need to do today if this one kid needs to step to the side and draw the whole time then that's what they need to do today like it is really easy to get caught up in different philosophies of education and and reading a bunch of different books at yeah at the end of the day it's just i mean depending on what you're teaching and what what the learning objectives are yeah you want to you want your kids to be able to do addition and write a sentence like obviously um, but you also just want to keep everybody okay because there's just so many things bombarding young people that are just make it so hard for them to just be okay that's the best you can do <laughs> at the end of the day
1: I, I just want them to be okay because yeah. my sixth grade class I feel like Because I had one sixth grade class. It was the first class in the morning, and it wasn't an English class. It was more like a study skills like class. Um, So we always opened with CNN Ten. That was like part of like the curriculum I was given. Is you start the morning with CNN Ten, which back in my day, um, in twenty (laughs) seventeen, was CNN Student News. They enjoyed watching it. Like they'd always go the the guy. They'd always call the guy in charge of it, Mr. Clean. And then I remember one time he called himself Mr. Clean, and I kid you not, they screamed. Screaming and pointing, and they're like, you can't tell us to stop calling him Mr. Clean now. And I'm like, I will pause this and turn this off if you do not. (laughs) But I also saw how exhausted they were, especially because I was their third teacher in a month. Because the first teacher left the school, the second teacher was a sub and then I came and the first thing they asked was, how long are you going to be here? Mm. I was like, as long as I can. And then a month later, I went on medical leave. Mm. They, they knew I was leaving. It was the saddest thing where they were just like, I'm like, hey, y'all, I have something to tell you. They're like, you're not going to be here anymore, are you? I'm sorry, y'all. You know, you've seen me getting weaker and you've seen me getting sick, but I'm doing this so I can come back next year. And I am going to ask that next year when I come back. That I get you as my class again because the study skills class stays the same six through eight,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so I did ask. I have asked. Hey, um, can I have my my class back? I haven't gotten a response. I won't know until next month.
2: Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm
1: fingers crossed. I just want to show up like you, you thought you saw the last of me. Let's go. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like to the class. Like you're stuck with me. I'm back. <laughs> Um, that will, I will like cry if that happens. Yeah. I, I really want this class back because I really care about my students. But even with that, they were so like, I could tell they were trying not to get attached to me. And then we hit the one month mark and it felt like, you know, they were starting to and then I had to leave because I got sick. And that's just like one instance with one class. hmm. I can't imagine like every student I've had and everything that they're dealing with or going through and they just haven't told anybody or they haven't told me specifically.
2: Yeah. I mean, you have to think too, with you know, the inconsistency and the the lack of structure is you know, it's just hard for anybody. But just within the past three years, <laughs> young kids in school, I mean, and you were in school. College during the uh, bulk of the pandemic, yes? Early pandemic?
1: My last two and a half of my last three years of undergrad were Zoom University.
2: So it's like you have a third grader or a fourth grader, their entire school career has been we're online, we're hybrid, we're online again. Everybody's sick. You're online now. You're back, but you're wearing a mask now. No mask. Like it's just so inconsistent, and I'm not looking forward to it in a, in a positive way, but in a information-obtaining way. Over the next few years, I'm sure we'll be getting a lot more literature and and research and books about the effects of. The pandemic on school, school life and, and development. Because I know when I started teaching again during the pandemic, like 2022, 20, 21, maybe, and teaching kids, you know, an age group I'd taught for years and years and years, and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. I am a bad teacher right now. I don't understand. Nothing is working. These kids are struggling. And then I, thought oh my gosh they're developmentally like two years behind what they should be like socially all of that because they just haven't had (laughs) had that anything so I'll be curious to see over the coming years what (laughs) What books we'll get to read about all of that fun?
1: Yeah, um, I, I I saw the effects that the pandemic yeah. had on my students, um, whether it was social socially where they kind of weren't sure how to socialize in a way that's like, okay, but you aren't at home. Mm. And also like educational, yeah. like in a way where uh, with eighth graders, I was going over things that... I was going over with the sixth graders and it's not, it's not their fault. Those kids were so smart. Those kids are so smart. I was so proud of the classes I had. Like I was like, is this, did I just get lucky my first year? Like, (laughs) like I got, so lucky I felt like with uh with my classes where I was like it's not anything to say about the students where I'm like oh I got so lucky it's to talk about how people talk about your first year teaching Mm -hmm. I want to clarify it's not that I didn't believe in my students or I was like oh I'm gonna get a bad class or anything like that because I even taught a class where somebody told me like oh are you sure you want that class it's the it's the ESL class Mm -hmm. I'm like and (laughs) hello they're like yeah. well it's going to be harder and I'm like I I went to school with a lot of ESL students like that's yeah. like I'm we're good you know and I what we were um but it's that it's how sometimes people will talk about the classes mm-hmm. my last year of undergrad when I was getting more into the education side of my major people were scaring me mm-hmm. <laughs> like um about like oh and your class is going to be like this and I had a teacher who's like don't smile until January or they will never listen to you and they will never respect you like first of all I smile when I'm nervous no like I I smile a lot even when I'm like (laughs) I'm smiling so that wasn't gonna fly anyways But I also don't want them to be scared of me. Like I want them to respect me. But I don't want them to be terrified of me. This is why I had to go look for books to tell me what to do. Because that was the advice I was getting. Yeah, Was don't smile. Oh my god. Your first year. You're going to want to quit. Your first year. Your students are going to be nightmares. Your students aren't going to understand a damn thing. Like all sorts of stuff. Where I'm like oh my god. So I get there. And I have this. And for the first month, I'm like, oh, my God, did I just get really lucky? No, this is just how they, (laughs) this is just, this is just how the students were, where I was like, it's just like, I asked other people in the residency, I'm like, did you guys get lucky too? Like, or like, did I, and everyone's like, yeah, we must have all gotten lucky. There's no way that every single teacher in this residency program, you know, it's no, it was just, I don't know why people in my undergraduate year, we're like, no, this is going to be a nightmare. You're going to hate this. You're going to want to quit. I did want to quit. It wasn't the students though. It was the inaccessibility. (sighs) Mm -hmm. That was a completely two opposite things. I'm not saying Mm. that every day was like, you know, sunshine, rainbows and everything. Like I had one day where they, they were so loud, they couldn't hear me. And so I had to keep going, y'all, 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 like not yelling at them, but I was already sick Mm -hmm. and then I had to try to like so they could hear me. I knocked my voice out for three days, you know, like because of that, like I was like, y'all, y'all, y'all. Like, come on. I'm not saying every day was perfect. Again, somebody did steal my cane. Not one of my students. It was a, a student in the classroom after me, but somebody did steal my cane from me. I'm not saying it was perfect all the time but the way that like the warnings I guess that I got beforehand made me so scared.
2: That can be such a a self-fulfilling prophecy too when adults say bad things about young people (laughs) you're just creating a, a fun little cycle for yourself and Guess what? Young people are incredibly perceptive. So if you think they're a bunch of little assholes, guess what? <laughs> they know you think that. It's not going to work out in your in your favor to think that. It is tough when you're seeking out education for yourself and advice for yourself. That's what you're getting in return or you can't find the things that you're needing. Like sometimes you have to turn to to other, other sources, like with, with my own education journey, just within the past couple of years, I've become very focused on combating uh, adultism. Like I was saying earlier, there's not really a bunch of literature about that. And so I've really gotten into looking at the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which... Shout out to the UN Conventions on the Rights of the Child. We'll link it in the show notes, I guess. But it's an incredible treaty that that was drawn up within the UN, basically stating that children are humans and they have rights. Guess who is one of two countries who haven't ratified the treaty? Oh, my gosh. It's the United States of America wild
1: they don't believe half the country has rights what would they believe children do oh
2: well boom but you think it is the only it is the only minority group that everyone has been a part of so you would think we would all have a baseline understanding on how to treat young people but because that we've been caught in such a cyclical pattern of young people being treated poorly, like they don't matter, um, like the world was not made for them, then those people grow up and say, that's what <laughs> was done to me. So that's what I'll do to young people again. And on and on. But, yeah, there's not a ton of books about the subject out there, so it's like definitely a lot of cobbling, Together, resources. Two books in particular that I think of are children's books from this series called the We Rebels books that I highly recommend. One is We Say No, which is a child's guide to resistance. And then, uh, A Rule is to Break, a child's guide to anarchy, Um, which are two things very in line with like my life philosophy and just like classroom philosophy in general, but just the baseline of those books is you, you have autonomy, (laughs) you have kindness within you to share, like nobody is here to control you. So I think, I think about those books a lot and think this is such a simple concept. So simple that it is in this very simple Book for very young people to read, but it's somehow not a simple concept for you know people in charge uh, to for them to understand. But I've definitely turned to seeking out resources that aren't maybe the traditional you know classroom <laughs> books, uh, education books that that might be presented in in teaching grad programs. I
1: uh, one book um, my friend recommended it to me is uh, bell hooks is uh, teaching to transgress education as the practice of freedom and it talks about you know using education and teaching students you know to transgress against racial sexual and class boundaries. In order to achieve the gift of freedom, that's quite literally the a quote from the synopsis. I wasn't that deep. That that's the book, not me. Um, but I want them to do that. I I want them to go past the boundaries that the world has set for them. But I also want them to go past boundaries that they have set for themselves. I, I also taught debate for the few um, weeks months that I was in the pro- that I was teaching i thought a debate club um had them all introduce themselves and things like that and at first they were kind of joking and finally i'm like okay i need y'all to listen to this at the end of the day what i want y'all to get from this club and whether you do or not you know what your parents paid for you to be here so that's their money you know at the end of the day Yes. Would I like you to learn debate? Yes. You know, I think the important thing about debate is, is that you learn how to get information and to stand up for yourself and what you think. So that at the end of the day, no one can push you around and things like that. You know how to stand up for yourself. I also want you to know when you're wrong. I want you to be able to 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 know when you're wrong. But I want you to be able to say what you need to say and have that and know how to use your voice and things like that. And at the end of the day, I want them to transgress what what even what I think, because I think the world of my students, but I am not that imaginative of a person. <laughs> so <laughs> I want them to like do whatever will make them happy in a way that I'll be like, whoa look at you and at the end of the day be proud of who they are so this went very very off topic caroline do you have like something you would like to say as we wrap up
2: to close out i'm caroline m watson she her pronouns i am a writer a actor i am a passionate educator and I was thrilled to chat with you, especially as you're embarking on beginning a career in education. I think that's so exciting, and I'm sending you all of the strength and patience and love in the world.
1: Thank you. I'm going to need it, especially if I do get my classmates. (laughs) I adore those kids. God, patience was a thing I learned. I'm Nox Kiros. I am... A content creator. I am a TTRPG um, award winning TTRPG performer. I was told I need to start saying that more. (laughs) And I am also an aspiring educator. So I was really, really glad to have this conversation. And now I have more book recommendations because I definitely want to develop a classroom where my students can learn and. Be safe and comfortable to do that.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well red woman is a dangerous creature. Creature.